Praise God. If you will, turn with me to the Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 6. The Song of Solomon, 8, 6. says here, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave, the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Praise God, this morning I have a two-point message for you. My first point is that The love between a man and a woman, so intimate, so passionate, gives us a way to think about our closeness and passion for Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen? The second point is that the world... And life in this world try to make us cheaters on our beloved. And we've got to resist that temptation. Okay, point one. Passionate love between a man and a woman is not for the faint of heart. Check with your doctor. Either in life or in reading the Bible. Passionate love. Romance, you could say. Woo-woo! Can rule your thoughts. It can rule your time. It can rule your energy. And the Bible contains quite a few beautiful love stories, some tragic love stories, some happy love stories, Love is kind of crazy. That is, love is not entirely sense and good sense and rational. It's kind of crazy. And this morning I may end up encouraging you to appreciate what you have with your lover if you have a lover. That's great. That would be a kind of good but unintended consequence of the word. What I'm really trying to do is remind you of what you have with God. A passionate relationship with God. You should. And it should grow more passionate, not less, over time. The Bible is filled with this connection between marriage, a relationship between a man and a woman, and our relationship with God. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, we see that um, the mystery relationship between the church and Jesus Christ is revealed in the role of the husband 
as a type of Christ, and the role of the wife as a type for the church. We also see that the church will take its place in the future in a heavenly realm at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a marriage supper celebrating the union of Jesus Christ and the church. Amen? The prophets also describe the idolatry of the nation of Israel like uh, it was spiritual adultery, like Israel was cheating on the Lord. Hosea, for instance, had to marry a prostitute so he could know how the Lord feels. And Isaiah comforted Israel by promising them, your maker is your husband. Be comforted in that. Your maker is your husband. Jesus often used weddings, wedding events, wedding processions, wedding banquets, in order to reveal to us the nature of the kingdom of God. So it is not at all unusual to take the relationship between a man and a woman who love each other and use that as a way to explore our relationship with God. I'm turning to this Song of Solomon here. I'll call it the song. And if we take it as it reads, it's about a young woman, probably a young teen, if you factor in cultural norms of the day, a a girl, we could call her, and her preference for a young man, probably not much older than her, probably not much different in age than, than she is. I don't think the song is a story exactly. It doesn't have a narrator for instance. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but the song doesn't have a narrator. Anything we learn about the people involved in the song, who, who speak in the song, that's all that the song is. It's just one person after another speaking. Anything we learn about them and the events that have taken place in their lives, we have to infer from the love poems of the people involved. We can piece together a few events in the lives of these people. For instance, the girl in the story was introduced to Solomon's harem. You know that Solomon had many, many wives and many, many concubines. And the girl in the song was introduced to his harem, but she refuses the royal life in favor of marrying her shepherd boy. She has an opportunity to become the wife of the king, but she prefers in in the song to marry a shepherd boy. I uh, interpret the song as being a love triangle between this girl and Solomon and the shepherd boy. There's a king in the book, and there's a shepherd in the book, as well as the Shulamite girl or Shulamite young lady. I understand there's a a two-person interpretation of the song and a three-person interpretation. I'm a a three-person interpreter. 
If you read the song, you realize that it does not reveal the plot line of these events in order. The lovers are depicted as married early in the book, and then they're depicted later as courting, and uh, later as her leaving her home for the king's palace, and then it comes back to them being married again, the shepherd and, and the Shulamite girl being married again. So it, you can't put the story together just by reading left to right. It doesn't work that way. And that's actually a, a, a clue to what the, the book is about, the Song of Solomon is about. It's not simply to tell a story. It's not a string of events as much as it is a string of poems about each other and about love. I believe that the point of the book is to pay a tribute to love. That amazing thing. Love is delicious. It's empowering. And it's even fierce. Delicious? Well, the book is filled with the sights and the sounds, the smells and the touches of the beloved. And they're compared to the beauties of nature. This speaks of appetite and delight. How about our relationship with God? Is there not delight in our relationship with God? Is there not delight in feeling his presence? Is there not delight in entering into fellowship with the saints where God is at the center of us all? Is there not delight in hearing from the Lord when we pray to him and we sense him speaking back to us? Is there not delight in answered prayer and the power of God? What delight it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? The Bible tells of a woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. Well, I want to ask you, who had the greater ecstasy and delight in that moment? Was it Jesus who was the receiver of that affection or the woman who was the giver of that affection. And I will tell you, I suspect it was the woman who had the greatest delight of all in that moment. There is great delight in loving God and in loving Jesus. There's just something about that name. Love is empowering as well. In chapter 3 of the song, the girl goes out in the middle of the night to search for her lover. She spends the entire dangerous night looking for him because she is empowered by love. I told you love could be pretty crazy. The watchman of the city kind of scolds her. What are you doing out here? This is no place for a young girl, the streets of of the dark night. She doesn't care. She's moved by love. Love is empowering She's inspired. And in fact, if you read in chapter 5, you can see as a result of her going about the city looking for her lover, she is beaten. 
She's beaten by the town watchman. She has her veil torn off her face. She is humiliated. But instantly, her reaction is not something like, this is unjust, or she doesn't cave in and say, I'm sorry. She doesn't, um, you know, go home crying, hightail at home, get inside her home and cry about the way she was treated. In the very next verse, after she's humiliated, this is chapter 5, verse 8, she says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. In other words, the beating, the humiliation, had no effect on her whatsoever. She was empowered by love. How about in our relationship with God? Ask yourself, how did the lowly Galileans that were gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem, 120 of them, start a Jesus movement that has now spread across the world and and given the most powerful impact by any one man has been made by Jesus across the world as it was carried by his disciples. These people were empowered, inspired by their love of Jesus. Amen? They were beaten. They were humiliated. And they were moved not a bit by the humiliation to stop. They just became all the more determined. Bring the gospel to the corners of the world. Praise God. They didn't even flinch. What enabled them to go up and down the streets? What enabled them to go searching for souls to be converted? Where did they get their passion Did they not get their passion from their love of God? They did not get their passion from military disciplines, from orders from a a ranking officer. They didn't get it from their connections to intelligence or education. They didn't get their power from technology. They reached the end of the world because they were driven by the same thing that drove this Shulamite girl through the streets of the town, Love. Love can also be fierce. Fierce. Look at our verse once again. Love is strong as death. It says jealousy is cruel as the grave. It's fierce as death. Jealous means there's no room for competition here. Solomon's harem, forget about it. The oils, the jewels, the dresses, the pampering, the foods, the music, the company. I don't want any of it. I want my lover. I want my shepherd lover. He's the only one I want. I'm fiercely devoted to him. Jealous means it cuts out room for any competition. It simply cuts it out. 
as Jesus described our relationship with God. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to be with him forever. Better to lose a member than lose your salvation. Galatians 6.14 says, The world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. This is the fierceness of love. The world is crucified unto me. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about your name. Kings and kingdoms. There's no competition for knowing him, being close to him, hearing from him, walking with him, living for him. None of it competes with him. Anything that wants to come along and compete with him, I strike it out of my life. I push it out of my life. I push it out of the way. Get out of here, you competitor. Jesus alone is the one I love. I don't love monies. Oh, I'm jumping way ahead of myself here. She says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. The seal was used at the finish of a transaction. At the end of a transaction, saying it was like the signature. Your seal was like your signature. In Mesopotamia, they had seals on cylinders, and they would roll them in clay. In, in the Holy Land, where uh, Jesus lived, they had seals on stamps. You would stamp the seal in clay or in wax in order to say, the deal is done, the deal is over, decision made, I'm not going back, I'm fully in, I'm totally committed. Signed, sealed, and delivered. We see in Genesis 38, 18, that Tamar disguised herself to uh, trap her unjust father-in-law, Judah. And in the dark of night, she said, you've got to give me a pledge. You've got to give me a promise. You've got to give me proof that you'll do what you'll say you'll do. What will you give me? And uh, he said, what shall I give you? And she said, give me your seal. It was a literal seal that he carried with him. Uh, The cylindrical seals could be kept on a cord around your neck. And in fact, it says, she says, give me your seal and its cord. In Jeremiah 22, 24, we read, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I'm done with you. And in the extremity of of, uh, images... I'll say, I will do with you what would be unthinkable. I'm taking you the signet ring that has my seal on it, the the ring that contains my seal. I'll take it off. I'm done with you. 
In Haggai chapter 2, verse 23, we read, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Signet ring, it's the same word as used in Song of Solomon for the seal. It means I am committed. It means my decision has been made. It means I'm following through. And she says, put me as a seal upon your heart that is inside you. Bear me inside you as a, as a commitment that is over. I'm, the commitment is made. The commitment is final. Bear that in my heart and bear it in, on your arm. In other words, bear it in your inner person where, you, where your sentiment lies, but don't only be a man of sentiment because I am not only a woman of sentiment. Put the seal on your arm as well. Let it be involved in everything you do. Feel, yes, inside, but do also with your hands and your arms, your feet, As it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice, for it is your your proper service. Amen? Not just sentiment. A lot of Christians today are getting by on sentiment. A lot of people are just saying, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I would vote for Jesus if he was running for president. The Lord doesn't want us to just have sentiment. He wants us to have action. He wants us to live it out. He wants us to live out our love for God. He wants it to be real. This verse expresses both emotional passion and fierce commitment. It is as though she is telling him, take full possession of me. She didn't want to run with the crowd. She didn't want to run with the crowd because all all these other ladies, a hundred of them, more than a hundred of them, were falling all over themselves to become part of Solomon's harem. Oh, that, was, that, that should have been a great uh, source of pride to her. She was chosen. She was preferred. So, you can read uh, that Solomon says some pretty hot and heavy, whoa, some pretty hot and heavy seduction of her. But she says, no, I'm going to look all night for my, my shepherd lover. He's the one for me. I'm not going the way of the world. The world is crucified to me and I to the world. I'm not going after the world. I'm not going after the things of the world. I'm not going after the money. I'm not going after the the promotions. I don't care about it. I care about Jesus. Might make you a little crazy. We don't care what the world thinks though, do we? Love is as strong as death. What death? What death? Strong as death. Death to the world. 
The world has no more claim on me. No more attraction to me. That's what we're talking about. That kind of relationship with God. Where you could say that. And I'm sharing this word with me too, my brothers and my sisters. I'm not standing here as somebody who's got it all down pat and I'm telling you, come on, catch up. I'm telling you, I'm sharing this word with my heart and with my actions, with my mind and with my spirit, the same as I'm sharing it with you. I can't wait until I get it all squared away perfectly to share it with you because if that's the case, I don't think I'll ever share it with you. If you want to go ahead of me, please be my guest. Go ahead of me in love, in love for God. I couldn't wish you a better thing. I couldn't pray for you a better thing than to go forward in the love of God. To love him more and love the world less. All the world wants our attention. Love is as strong as death. What death? Death to the world. You say, the world, world, you have no more claim on me. You have no more attraction to me. Jesus, you have me completely. It's not because I'm religious. It's not because I am pretending with some kind of feigned religiosity to be something that I'm not. Jesus, you have all of me. World, you have none of me because I love him. In serving the Lord, we don't just live out a prohibition. We don't just say, well, I'm not, I'm not supposed to love the world. Well, all right, I'm not supposed. I'm supposed to keep the world, you know, like at arm's distance. I'm supposed to keep, you know, be like aloof from the world. That, that's what I'm supposed to do, okay. Uh, we're prohibited from loving and serving the world. Brothers and sisters, it's not that we're living out a prohibition. It's that we're living out a love relationship. We're living out our positive desire, not a prohibition, but something we want to do, something we're drawn to do, something we're strongly attracted to, which is loving the Lord. If it was only death, death to the world, death on a cross, we would probably give up. But half our strength comes from Christ and our love for him. All right, prohibition, when you need it, when it'll keep you on the online, when it'll keep you on the straight and narrow. There's nothing wrong with a prohibition. Stop, don't do that. I shouldn't be doing that. That's a don't, that's a thou shalt not. There's nothing wrong with that. It'll help you out in a moment of uh, testing, but I'll tell you what's a lot better than that is to do it because you love him. Do it because you're committed to him. Do it because he is the most precious thing in your life. Do it because your relationship with him is, means more to you than anything. Amen. You are dead and your life is hid in Christ. The world is crucified to you and you to the world. Would you go please to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 32. This is also about the relationship between men and women. 1 Corinthians 7, 32.
The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Your wife is part of your life in this world. Verse 34, there's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. That means that she may be devoted to the Lord, entirely committed to the Lord, where where the Lord has first claim on her. That's, That's the unmarried woman. But she that is married, the end of verse 34, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. (laughs) So, husbands, your wife is quite a distraction, isn't she? And wives... No doubt your husband is quite a distraction. But amazingly, this is the exception that proves the rule. It's the exception because it's allowed. A man is allowed in Christ to marry a woman. And when he marries her to take care of her and be distracted by her and her needs, that is allowed. It is allowed in Christ for a man to be distracted by his wife and a wife to be distracted by her husband. In other words, the Lord says, before you're married, your focus in life has one target, one target, serving God. Because you are free from all else. You have no worldly cares. Go where you want to go. Do what you want to do. Live the way you want to live. Your your target has one relationship in it. You and God. So that you could live, as Paul said, without carefulness. But you're allowed in Christ. God gives us this grace and this license so that we can spread out our focus to include one other focus. And have two in your life instead of only one. You are allowed in Christ to spread out your focus and make pleasing the Lord and pleasing your spouse. The two focuses of your life. Well, it's very gracious of God, isn't it? But brothers and sisters, it's the exception that proves the rule. And the exception that proves what rule? This rule. 
that the world is crucified to you and you to the world, that you don't live for the things of the world and you don't live for the things in this world, but you live for the things of the kingdom. How many things are in your focus, in your sights, in your crosshairs? How many things are in your crosshairs of life? There should be one if you're single and no more than two if you're married. Wow. The Apostle Paul has quite an expectation here for our lives, doesn't he? That is quite an expectation. That is quite a standard. That is fierce love. That is fierce. I know the word jealousy has very much negative connotations to us in our world today. The uh, Solomon, Song of Solomon 8, 6, he says, Jealousy is fierce or vehement. A better word probably that has positive connotations instead of negative would be passion. That we're allowed to open up our focus to include two things in our crosshairs. Serving the Lord and serving our spouse. Pleasing the Lord and pleasing our spouse says something very powerful about our relationship with the Lord. Our focus is not to have a third thing in the crosshairs, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth. Ah, unrealistic. Unrealistic, brother. We have better sense than that. I told you. I told you right from the start. Love's kind of crazy. Love's kind of crazy. And just be reminded that some of the churches that fell off in the book of Revelation, some of the seven churches, fell off in their relationship with God because they got good sense. They got the world's good sense. They started living sensibly and rationally and left their first love. What is love when speaking of loving God, appreciating Him, valuing Him, counting what He's done for us, but also respecting Him for who He is, exalted above all in character, above all in purpose, above all in achievement? It means trusting Him. Isn't trusting someone a great part of loving someone? It's desiring to please him. It's thinking constantly about what he wants. In chapter 1 of the Song of Solomon, we see the girl is brought into Solomon's harem. But she hurries away from it with her lover. Solomon seduced her with powerful and sensual poem of love. Wow, the guy could write, right? He was a Shakespeare. He could write love poems. But it didn't convince the girl to stay. When we see her in the city looking for her beloved in the streets, she's not in the palace and part of the harem. She's not turned by the glories and the glitter of the palace. She prefers her shepherd boy. She's more accustomed to the life of work. If you read the song, you realize that she was, she was made to 
work in the vineyards, in the sun, and work very hard. And her love is as strong as death. Colossians 3.3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Like the dark-skinned Shulamite girl was devoted to her shepherd boy, we should be so passionate and so jealous over Jesus. Not a self-serving jealousy, but passion for him. We should pray, brothers and sisters, to be more dead to the world. World, get back on your cross. We should pray to be more dead to the world and less accessible to its temptations, less double-minded, less impressed by the glories of the world. We should ask God to purify our love for him. We shouldn't outgrow our love for him and outgrow our passion for him as we become wise and sensible, educated, and men and women of the world, knowing how the things of the world go. We should stay simple in Christ, simple in love for him. Are you hearing me? I'm really sharing my heart. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. In verse 10, my beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear, appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is, is heard in our land. It would be the turtle dove. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. We don't want God to look at us and say, they love the world too much. I can't answer their prayer. They're praying to me, and I'm hearing their prayer, but I can't answer their prayer because they love the world too much. They're praying to me out of their love of the world. When they first came to me, they could care less about the world. And they prayed to me, and I answered their prayer again and again, because they just didn't care about the world. They just cared about loving me. Now they've allowed that competitor into their hearts. They've allowed that competitor into their thinking. And they're figuring things out. They think. If I answer their prayers, they're going to get the wrong idea. It won't be good for them. They're too taken up with the world. They're too taken up with living yet another year. They used to dream about dying and coming and be with me. I'm looking for a people who prefer me to the world. Proverbs 18, 17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall seek for me with all your heart. We live in a tug of war, like the Shulamite girl lived in a tug of war. 
The world pulls at us from one side, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? I understand. And God pulls at us from the other side. The world is very patient. It just never stops. The pull of the world is like the pull of gravity or something. It just is always there. You can't get away from it. It's very patient, and it pulls without ceasing, like gravity. So should we make our Lord compete for our affections and compete for our passion and our devotion? Ah, oh, you've got to win me, Lord. You've got to win me day after day. You've got to overcome the pull of the world. You've got to pull harder than the world is pulling on me. But I'll tell you something. While the world never stops pulling, God will. He's not going to compete. He's not in a market. He's not a salesman. He's not going to compete with the world for your affections. The world will never stop pulling. God will stop pulling. You've got to decide that you prefer him. That you love him above all. You've got to give it thought. You've got to give it prayer. Putting the world and the things of the world behind us, turning our back on them seems like death. But love is as strong as death. May we not assign our Lord to Sundays or to some other day or to do days a week. Our Lord is too big and too glorious for two days a week, or five days a week. The only thing that is just and right is seven days a week, and 24 hours a day, and every day of the year. Hallelujah! That's the only thing that's right for Him. Amen? May we not assign the Lord to our duties, our list of duties, and be, in reality, giving money and houses and cars and electronics and such entertainments. Greater place. Allowing them to be competitors. When the Bible says the world is crucified to me and me to the world, it means there are no competitors anymore. When you're in a relationship with your, your spouse that you love, all other, if you're a man, all other women, all other women go into a, another category separate from your wife. All of them are, you know, off to the side. Your wife has no competitor, Right? No competitor. Your wife doesn't have to compete for you if you love your wife. Your husband doesn't have to compete for you if you love your... I'm mixed up now. I lost track, husband, wife. You get the idea. The competition is over because the commitment is final and perfect. Amen? There's no competition. You're not going to give your wife a reason to wonder about you. But how often do we give God a reason to wonder about us in our devotion, in our passion to Him? He should never have to wonder about our devotion and compassion and passion for Him. He should never have to wonder. 
I have to stick in a comment here about leaving church after music rehearsal and after leadership seminar. Some of you come for leadership seminar or you come to music rehearsal on Sunday night and then when the rehearsal is over or leadership seminar is over, you go out the door and you leave and you don't stay for church. Oh, it's alarming to me. It's really alarming to me. I could understand where you would have to do it in an emergency. But you see, if you're going to be in leadership seminar, that's because you have church in, in the presence of the Lord and hearing the word of God and worshiping God and joining with the congregation when it joins. You have that in its proper place and now you're going to add to that the, the uh, function of leader. And if you are in the music ministry and you are going to rehearse and so on and be part of the music ministry, that's because you have your church attendance straight. You have it squared away. You have it as a priority in your life. And you have decided to make this additional commitment in the name of the Lord and to serve the Lord, which is to be part of the music ministry. I understand if you're, you're really pressed and stressed out and you, it's, a, it's an emergency situation for you and you want to follow through on your commitment to the music ministry or you want to follow through on your commitment to home fellowships and go to the leadership seminar. And one extra hour and a half, hear what I'm saying, one extra hour and a half in the house of the Lord is going to somehow be some sort of straw that breaks the camel's back. I suppose so. But I'm asking you to think that over. Because I have never, not one time, experienced that since 1975. And it can't be being experienced by 10 or 20 of us. Because that's how many are leaving after music rehearsal and after leadership seminar. Some are leaving after Sunday school. I haven't had to do that since 1975. How come, you, how come 10 or 20 of you have to do that? How about loving the Lord with all your heart? with all your mind, with all your soul. But there's one more, isn't there? What's the other one? With all your strength. Ah, brother, you don't understand. I'm stressed out. I'm spread thin. All right, if you're spread too thin and you can't take it, drop out of leadership seminar. Drop out of the music ministry. Don't drop out of church. It's a bad stop. It's a bad precedent. It's a wrong move. I understand you want to be a good team player. The first team is the church, the body of Christ. May we not start to get too smart and too wise about serving the Lord we love. We can always count the cost of serving Him and make a judicious decision about giving Him enough that we seem dedicated, but holding back enough to keep ourselves safe in our own minds and hearts 
We're getting too smart about love. The first commandment is to love him with all of your mind. Am I telling you the truth? The Lord will not answer our prayers if we always have to be letting our right hand know what our left hand is doing. Jesus said, don't do it, don't do it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Just do it. Just love him. Just serve him. Just accept the cost. Put the world on the cross. Crucify the world. Crucify its affections. Be dead to the world and alive unto Christ. This is the preaching that, brothers and sisters, I grew up on in the 1970s. It did me good and I never forgot it. Thank you, Brother Bob. I tell you, it kills me to uh, cancel church on Friday night, cancel home fellowship. It kills me. It kills me. Four inches of snow. What is going on with us? But I understand. Don't, don't go ballistic, Brother Brian, because the very next day it was like uh, 20 below zero. Uh, wind chill factor, 50 below zero, and the food pantry were out there handing out food packages. They're pretty gritty. Should have driven to Phoenix in the 1970s. When the, the snow banks were two-thirds of the way up the telephone poles. drive the van every single day from Oswego, New York to Living Word Academy and then back to Oswego and then back to church again. Right, Sister Elaine? Let's not grow too smart about loving the Lord. Let's not get real smart about it, okay? You know, we could say, Sister Elaine, that wasn't really wise of you back then, sister, to drive that van like that and have Sister Sandy drive that van like that. You weren't being judicious. You weren't being sensible. You weren't being clever. You weren't being smart. You weren't being good, wise. I'll tell you, Solomon was the wisest man in the world. It didn't do him a lot of good. He'd be better off just loving the Lord with all of his heart and all of his strength. I wish he would have told the Lord, Lord, you gave me wisdom. Please take it back and give me strength instead. Take it back and give me passionate love for you instead. I don't need this wisdom. I don't need to be so smart. I need you from the depths of my heart. Don't be smart. Be a person of heart. Just came to me. Really wasn't that anointed though, was it? Love him. Psalm or uh, song 8, 7. It's not usual where I get to share a whole 45 or 50 minutes on a Sunday morning. I'm usually pressed into about 30 or 35, so I'm taking advantage this morning. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. Our physical death 
does not weigh a thing in the scales of love for God. Money, houses, they don't weigh a thing on the scales of love for God. Even our flesh family is so light on the scales of love for God. The floods spoken of here, the many waters that cannot quench love, the floods that would try to drown it, it's opposition, trial, difficulty. These things won't stop us from serving our beloved Jesus. Contemned means scorned. You don't have to make careful and sensible decisions about it. You just dismiss any competition. Dismiss it. Anything that competes with your love for Jesus Christ. Love controls. I think we get too smart about loving the Lord. We get too smart and try to be judicious and wise and careful and sensible. We'd be better off making mistakes because we love the Lord too much. I don't want to get too smart. I don't want to be all the time thinking, let's see, my right hand is doing this, my left hand, hmm, weigh the consequences let my right hand know what my left hand is doing. Right goes down, left goes up, left goes down, right goes up. Mm, I don't know. No, Jesus said, just love me. Just love me. Just go for it. I'll tell you something. Solomon was supposed to be the wisest man in the world, but he lost the best woman of all. The Shulamite girl would have been the best woman in his harem. He lost her. The best one of all walked away. I think she was smarter than him. Because she wanted to be alone in the arms of her beloved shepherd boy. She didn't want to share her shepherd boy with a harem. And we should also reject sharing ourselves with the world. See, but brother, you know, it's it's life in the world. I got to pay the bills, pay the bills, pay the bills. Let's not let that be our mantra. Let's let, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Let's let that be our mantra. Amen? Consider consider what I'm saying. Consider making some changes. Consider talking to the Lord about it. Consider your go-to responses to the challenges of life. I go to money. I go to doctors. I go to medicines. I go to technology. I go to school. I go to education. Oh, man. Does the Lord get a chance to get his foot in the door? I go to church on Sunday. Hmm. The Lord isn't going to answer our prayer if he's got to compete for our love. It wouldn't be good for us. He would spoil us. And he's not a doting grandfather. He's God. I've got to stop because I could just go on all day. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this Song of Solomon, this wonderful, passionate story of faithfulness and commitment of a girl to her beloved shepherd. Oh, Lord, may we also be so committed, so devoted, so reliable for our beloved shepherd. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise God. God bless you.